This is the live Paul. That was the video Paul. And you can vote after which one you like better. So good to have you. How are you doing after Thanksgiving? Have you gotten your uh, rhythm back? Are you still feeling a little turkey hangover? Do you see footballs flying in your dreams at night? Well, Thanksgiving is over. Unless you have kids in school who are off tomorrow, then Thanksgiving never ends, it seems like. Anyway, it's good to have you. You know, I was reflecting um, as I was getting ready for this morning about the things that I'm thankful for. And the things that I'm thankful for begin with my salvation. And as I begin my prayers each morning, the first thing I do is I thank God for my salvation. I thank God that somehow, for some reason that I can't comprehend, He pursued me. And He brought me into His kingdom, though I don't deserve it. So I'm so desperately thankful for that. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for good friends and good health. And last but not least, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for Ridgewood Church. And I believe as a church, when we start to examine what God's doing and and all the things that are happening around us, we can develop a, a heart of gratitude. And we can live a life of thanksgiving, not just over this weekend, but as part of a lifestyle. And what I want for you this morning is I want you to be encouraged by what God's doing. I want you to see Jesus as someone that needs to be pursued, someone who needs to be proclaimed. And I want you to see that you fit in the grand scheme of things and that there's something bigger for all of us. Now, the Bible is very clear that we are to live lives of gratitude. And so we start there today. In the Psalms, in Psalm 106.1, we read, Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So as I talk about what I'm thankful for, for Ridgewood Church today, I want to keep in mind that it all comes from God. Because God is the giver of all good things. And he is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our very lives. And so as we go through life, we can live a life of gratitude. But we can also live a life of hope. Paul was all about hope. In Romans 5, 1 and 2, he wrote, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The Christian life, the church experience, should be undergirded with gratitude and undergirded with hope. And so today I want us to walk into those two streams. I'm going to begin by what I'm thankful for, and then I'm going to transition into what I hope for regarding Ridgewood Church. And so let's begin with what I am thankful for regarding our church. First, I am thankful for the past. I'm thankful for what God has done in the past. And thank you for allowing me to preach with an iPad. I don't want to miss anything this morning. And that video Paul gets to use one when he's doing that, so I've got to keep up. I'm really thankful for our past. You know, Ridgewood began as a Sunday school, believe it or not, in 1863. That was during the heart of the Civil War. 
And by 1872, the group became the Groveland Church. The first building came in 1884, and the name was changed to Minnetonka Baptist Church in 1952. This building was built in 1981. It was named Ridgewood Church in 2002. And if you put all that together, that's about 150 years of ministry based on the Word of God and community connectedness. Yeah, that's great. Oh, good. I'm, oh, you're with me. All right. Awesome. Woo! See, video Paul doesn't get to hear that. Now, I do want to mention that we have been gifted with amazing pastors here in our church. And I am honored to stand where many of them have, have stood. Just talking to John Samuelson this morning, talking about his father, Marvin, who pastored here in the late 50s and early 60s. Elaine Evans is still a part of our fellowship. And her husband, Paul, pastored here. And he was an amazing And then most recently, Pastor Goff stood here and taught the word faithfully Sunday after Sunday. And so I'm so thankful for his ministry and the heart that he gave this church. And so I'm thankful for the past because I believe it serves as an amazing foundation for the future. And so that brings me to the present. I'm not only thankful for the past, I'm thankful for the present. I'm I'm thankful for what God is doing right now in our church. I'm grateful for a growing and godly congregation. I am really honestly thankful for all of you. You treasure the Bible. You live out your faith. You encourage. You serve. And I am so extremely humbled to lead you forward. I'm very thankful for our board. I find board meetings to be a joy. Yes, it's true. Board meetings and joy can go together. And the reason I find joy in our board meetings is because we pray like crazy. And there isn't any political nonsense going on. Everyone is around that table, and we're trying to do what's best for Ridgewood Church. And we're like brothers and sisters in arms. And I'm really thankful for our chair, Chad Henge, who does an unbelievable job of leading us. He's a man of prayer. He's godly. He's a great encourager. And so I'm so thankful for Chad. I'm also thankful for our staff. They're such a blessing. It's fun to come to work. They work hard. They're talented. And they're slogging it out right now. And they are laying even a firmer foundation for the future. So I would ask that you would pray for our board. Pray for our staff. That we would be encouraged. That we would have wisdom in leading you forward. We have so much to be thankful for. We have this building that has served us so well. And now we're talking about maybe changing some things to make it more functional for the future. That will be an exciting journey for us. But I'm more excited about our spiritual health. So far this year, we've done 26 baptisms. Now, if you want to do a comparison, yes, you can clap in a minute after I'm done, because I want to tell tell you this. If you go back to 2015, we did 10. Now we did 26. And I think that's awesome. That's, That's a work of God in our midst. And baptisms aren't the only way to measure spiritual health. But as a friend of mine always says, we don't have a copy of the Lamb's Book of Life, and this is the best measurement we have. And so I'm really excited about what God's doing. And what I, what I find to be really exciting is one of the women that we baptized in September who had just come to know Christ, brand new believer, is so on fire for Jesus, she's gone back into her neighborhood, which is not an easy neighborhood. 
And she is literally pastoring people and helping them and trying to find ways to plug them in to Jesus. This is a woman who's only been a believer a few months. And so I see God working in that. I see amazing stories like that. And then finally, what I see God doing in the present, you know, we talk a lot about trying to meet our budget goals. And this time of year, it's always this whole, you know, we get, please give year end. We're going to catch up. We're going to meet our goal. And that's important. But if you, take a, if you take a look at the broader picture, our church is amazingly healthy financially. Because of the wisdom of the leaders that came before me, we have no debt at all. And so that is an incredible. Again, yes. Thank you. So that is a testimony to what God is doing here. And I am so thankful for the past, that godly legacy. I'm thankful for the present. But I want to talk more about a limitless future because I'm thankful for what God's going to do in our church as we move down the road here. So here's the thing about hope. There is no ceiling on what God can do. There are no walls that God can't break through. There are no places that he can't go. And so when we put our hope in him, literally, our future is limitless. Now, we might limit him, or he might have a plan that we don't understand, but when we follow him, he can take us anywhere. And so now I want to transition into our section on hope. What do I hope for? And in order to do this, I'm going to look at four expressions of the Great Commission that are found in Scripture. And these four expressions all have a different nuance to them, and they'll help us understand our vision. So please, if you would, first, turn your Bibles to Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Matthew 28, 16 through 20, page 835, and if you want to go to the Ridgewood app, you certainly can. And you can just punch in that media page, and you can go right to the study. Scripture will be there as well. Matthew 28. This, of course, is the, is the well-known version of the Great Commission. And the reason this one is foundational, and the reason this one is so important, is because it contains the goal. The goal of being a Christian. The goal of being a church. And so let's read it together. Even though you've read it a hundred times. Maybe God will open up something new for you. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The amazing thing about that passage is that Jesus asserts his authority. He is the Son of Man. He is the authority and the King over all of the Father's kingdom because the Father has given Him that rule. And so when Jesus says to go, that's not an ask. It's a command. And what I see here is this forward-looking word, Go. 
Go therefore. This is not a posture of, of, of passivity. It's not a posture of let's wait and see what happens. It's let's go. Because Jesus understood the urgency that people needed to hear that there's something new going on and that he was the way to salvation. And so the key concept that I want to really deal with this morning is this idea of going. And so I'm hopeful this morning that we will go and make disciples. We have to be on the offensive. Time is short. The world needs Jesus. And if we believe that, then a sense of urgency has to come with how we do church. Now, we've been working through, as you know, over the last 16, 17 months on our vision statement and mission statement. So let's take a look at our mission statement first. You've heard this a few times now. It is to make Jesus known through community impact. And so that's a particular mission for our church in the broader scope of the Great Commission for the church universal. And then we have a vision statement that helps us understand what we want, what we want it to look like, what, what, what do we want to see. And here it's that each person knows what it means to be saved and transformed by Jesus and to make him known to others. That's what we want to see happen. And that's what's exciting about the Christian journey. You'd be around new Christians very long before you catch it. And it isn't the plague. It's excitement. It's zeal. It's a refreshing gratitude for being saved. And so we have the opportunity to come alongside these new believers and disciple them, making disciples. But one thing I would like to offer you this morning is a bit of a different paradigm about how to do that. And I want to show you two different kind of church paradigms that help you understand what I'm talking about. And I have here a normal church paradigm, and I have what I call, for lack of a better term, the Great Commission model. So a normal church paradigm is this. You start with conversion, and then the person is transformed, kind of learns the Bible, understands how to walk with Christ, and then reproduces. And then the circle comes back, new Christians are made, and the same process is followed. And that's what I've always learned in church, that that's the model. But I'd like to offer something a little bit different this morning, because I think the Great Commission model changes that a little bit. Of course, you start with conversion, which then, for me, leads immediately to reproduction. And while they're reproducing, we're teaching them and discipling them. They're learning and growing. Because right here is where the zeal, the passion, the change of life is most evident. And so we need to find ways to partner with organizations that can help us disciple people who are brand new believers and let their zeal bring people to Christ. Because I think what happens in the church so often is we get into this thing, well, we've got to get them transformed, and then they will reproduce. But somehow, in that transformation process, the reproduction part never happens. So that's exciting for me. You know, here's what a a very well-known guy, Greg Steyer, from Dare to Share Ministries, he's 
speaks all over the country, speaks at Billy Graham events and so forth. Here's what he said. Instead of dousing the passion of new believers who are excited and alive because of what God's done in their life, let's harness that passion for the gospel and get them excited about the cause of Christ. After all, the point of conversion is when they have the most and the strongest connections with others who are unreached. It's also the point at which the dramatic transformation that's taken place in their heads is most evident to the world around them. And for me, that's what it means to go. It means to make disciples, but not to get them into a church system, just to get them into a church system, but to reproduce new Christians, and these people can do it. So I believe that it's important for us to follow this plan. And Mark, in his expression of the Great Commission, is going to tell us how we do that. In Mark 16:15, he said this. He said to them, Go into all the world, this is Jesus, and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. So what's the method? The method is to proclaim the gospel. The method is to tell people there is good news. And our world needs good news. And we have it. But we waste it. And we're angry on Facebook and we're angry on Twitter and we're all caught up in this back and forth battle that goes on in politics. Hey, we have good news. Let's proclaim that. Let's shine a light. And so I believe that the gospel has to be the center of everything. And so I want to talk a little bit about a strategy moving forward. The strategy for Ridgewood Church is to present the gospel. Gospel centeredness. I want you to know that everything I'm going to share with you over the next few minutes has been bathed in prayer. Each morning when I wake up and I stumble downstairs, and I'm half there and half not there, the video pauses much better in the mornings. But I begin to pray for our church. I pray for wisdom. And I pray that we would be humble and prayerful. And so. The board has been praying. People in the congregation have been praying. Staff has been praying. And what you're going to hear comes out of those prayers, out of conversations with you and counsel from others. It's not going to be shocking to you, but I want you to know that this is something that we've prayed about for a long time. And now it's time to get busy. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to divide this up into three categories. Connections, multiplication, and church health. Connections, multiplication, and church health to see how we're going to move forward. And the first thing we need to do is we need to connect to our community. And we can connect to our community. We talked a lot about this methodology when we preached through Acts 2 in the fall. And it was all about this idea of that community in the early church that was so connected and so on fire that people came in droves. Thousands were added to the church because they saw a difference. And so a vital church ministry can connect in many ways. Here are some of the ways. We can connect through missional community groups. Missional community groups. Some of you get confused about the term missional. It's used all the time, sometimes too much. What the term means is simply that we are on mission. We're not messing around. 
We're following Jesus into the battle. And don't ever think that it's not a battle because the war is on for the souls of men and women. Satan wants Jesus' throne and he'll take anybody down that he can to get it. And including you and your friends and your neighbors and your, and your children. And so we have to be about the business of moving forward. So this small group system will help us to connect to each other. It will help us to learn God's word together. And it will help us to connect to our neighbors. I'm really excited that some of you have already started to do this. Uh, we've commissioned 13 community group leaders this year. And this will be our primary method, as Neil, Pastor Neil always says, to push the front door of the church out into the community, into schools, into the workplace, into neighborhoods. And so this will be an evangelism tool, but it will also be a tool that connects us together. And so please think about leading or being in a community group. And that's going to be a vital part of what we're doing. Second, we want to establish connections within the community. And these community relationships can be incredibly helpful. Some of the ways that we can do this are following. First, we can embrace Reach and Restore. Now, some of you don't know about Reach and Restore. Reach and Restore is an organization started by a woman right here in our church. And it's an amazing place. It's in Hopkins. And what Recent Restore does is when someone is in a transitional period of life, say they're running from an abuser, say there's been a fire, they can come to Reach and Restore and they can get all of the things they need to keep going, but they also get a healthy dose of prayer. And there are people there that will pray with them and people there that will tell them about Jesus. And they know how to do it, so why not just partner with them? And out of the people that we've baptized lately, four of them, come right from Reach and Restore and are brand new believers because of their encounter at Reach and Restore. That's worth partnering with them. And we have been partnering with them. We have grief groups going on there. We have Bible studies going on there. We've helped them with our benevolent fund. And we want to continue to do so because that's how you connect to your community. Second, and this is a, this is a new one, but I'm excited about this opportunity that we're going to pursue is I think we can come alongside Prison Fellowship. Now, Prison Fellowship is an unbelievable ministry that happens all over the country. And we have a key player in our church that is a regional representative of Prison Fellowship. And so, why not ride that? Shakopee is only 15 minutes away where the women are incarcerated. 15 minutes. It's in our backyard. We can be mentors, and we're going to hear more about that coming up for the first of the year. We can help their children. But if we want to connect to the community, again, why not partner with somebody who knows how to do it? And this could be a really great opportunity. Wendy and I have spoken at Shakopee. Others of you have as well. And to watch prison fellowship work is amazing. We had 50 women there, many of whom were mature believers, even though they're behind bars, they're praying for each other. It's like a church. And so I'm excited if we can partner with that. Next, in order to connect with our community, I think we really need to follow the stream of, of disabilities that we've talked about. Jesus commanded us to go. And that means to go to all kinds of different people groups. And amazingly enough, as I've studied this whole idea of disability, 
I've learned that very few people with disabilities follow Jesus. And I asked our friend Judy Clark from Johnny and Friends, why is that? And she said, it's because of communication issues. It's because the families are isolated. It's because people are afraid to engage people with disabilities. I think we need to change that. And we've got some people working on this already. But this is going to be a really good way to move forward and strengthen our relationships. And by the way, the snowflake ball this year is going to be our thing. We've been partnering in the past with Johnny and Friends. They asked us, can you take that on? It's a big project, so we're going to need you to help us with that. But I'm excited about the snowflake ball. And then, finally, we can connect through what I call a one big community thing. How is that for, like, good wording, right? That's what they pay me the big dollars for, man. And I think we've landed on our first big thing. You told me at town halls. You said, I want our, you said, I want our church to matter. You said, you said, I want people to know that Ridgewood exists. And so I've been trying to meet with people and develop partnerships. And I met recently with a representative of the Minnetonka Police Department Drug Task Force and two representatives from the city of Minnetonka School District. And we are going to, if everything goes as planned, after the first of the year, we're going to host a big event, a drug awareness event, where they bring in key speakers. We teach parents about how to keep their kids from doing drugs. We teach the students the dangers of doing drugs. And what's really exciting sitting in that meeting is that they're excited that we're excited. Then I even said to the policeman, I said, hey, man, I said, I don't really want, if you feel like you don't want to do it at a church, because you, you, he looked at me and he went like, well, why wouldn't we want to do it at your church? Your church is perfect for this. And I went like, yeah, you're right. I didn't say that out loud because he's a policeman. So I got to be careful what I say. But that's exciting. They're excited that we're excited. That's community partnership. I've also been fortunate enough to become part of a steering committee that is made up of the faith community and the police department and just trying to keep our community safe for all kinds of different people. And I've had a chance to create a lot of different relationships with this, and I've had a chance to partner with people that are not like me, and I can shine the light of Christ. And then finally, we have been talking about joining the fight against sex trafficking. And we are going to do that, but it's taking a little more time. One thing we do have is that you can pick up information on the 5K run that, that you can sponsor back at the info desk. But here's the thing about sex trafficking. A lot of people think it's somebody else's problem. And they think that it happens overseas or, they, or it's just women coming over on a boat somewhere. The latest thing that was done was done in Minnetonka at a local hotel. There have been people arrested at the holiday station on 7 and 101. It's not somebody else's problem. It's our problem. And we need to keep our kids safe, and we need to shine the light of Christ in this incredibly dark world. So we are going to continue to work on that. And then, of course, we can connect to the world through global missions. This has been a strong part of our church for a long time. And this is another expression of the Great Commission. We find it in Acts 1.8. And this is actually a really exciting command. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. 